This is an ABC podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. I wonder, have you got a mate that you're worried about? Someone who you know their mental health's all over the place. Maybe they've told you that and you are worried about how they're coping, but you just don't know what to do. Because at one point or another, we all struggle to support a friend, someone who might be going through something tough. Figuring out what to do is really hard, especially if you are worried about their safety. Well, a group of young people have put together an online resource for young people. We're going to talk about this later. Also, Australia's lost a real one. Social justice campaigner Father Bob Maguire has died at the age of 88. Really, really sad news. A lot of you are feeling it. First, though. Hack. Young people are having to make just really appalling decisions about what they can afford. On Triple J. Yeah, as I say, it's timely we talk about the huge contributions of Father Bob Maguire because one of the things he was most passionate about was ending youth homelessness. He was talking about it when not many other people were and he was committed to getting young people off the streets. Right now, it's still a huge problem. A quarter of all Australians sleeping rough are under the age of 24. That's thousands of people. And it's not only sleeping rough. Maybe they're couch surfing, living in cars or in overcrowded homes. Is this you or have you been through this at one point in your life? What is the one thing you want people to know about homelessness? Let me know. You can call in 1300 055536. You can message in your experiences as well, 0439757555. First, hack reporter Miles Holbrook-Walk's been speaking with some young Aussies about what they've been through. It's really stressful. Overcrowding is really having an impact on me and my baby and also my mum. I had pretty much no one when I left. Yeah, it took a huge toll on my mental health. You don't have a sense of home, basically. You can't put anything anywhere. You feel a bit lost in the world. These young people have all at one stage or another experienced homelessness, and they're not alone. The Australian Bureau of Statistics reckons more than 28,000 people between 12 and 24 years old are currently homeless. The house we live in is pretty small. There's not enough space to get what we need for the whole lot of us. Chelsea Mitchell is an 18-year-old Western Aranda woman living in a town camp in Alice Springs. She's in a home that's decades old with eight other people, including her two-year-old daughter. Sometimes there's even more people and there's never enough beds. So I had to move back into the land room. Just having a safe space for my daughter. She has autism and does have sensory issues and she doesn't like too much people in her face. Though she has a roof over her head, if you live in an overcrowded home like Chelsea, you're still considered homeless. And like a lot of places in Australia, the Northern Territory has really long waiting lists for public housing. It's hard to get housing here. Been on it for two years and they're still saying maybe a four to five year wait list. Yeah, it's just really hard. The ABS says the rate of young people aged 12 to 24 who are homeless has dropped, but the data is a couple of years old now. Alarmingly, the data found the rate of homelessness for young women has gone up and one in five homeless people are First Nations Australians. Camilla Roy woman Imogen Johnstone fled a domestic violence situation in 2020 and had to sleep rough. Many experts say there aren't enough services and in Echuca in regional northern Victoria, there weren't any youth shelters for Imogen. She ended up having to go to Melbourne to find a place suited for young people. 
If I didn't have that support in the time where I needed it most, I probably wouldn't be the person I am today. Anglicare is one organisation working to help people like Imogen across the country, and they reckon we don't really get that homelessness isn't just sleeping rough. That doesn't just mean people sleeping on the streets or outside, it's also young people that are couch surfing or living in overcrowded dwellings or don't have somewhere safe to Sleep. Gemma Wood is the executive of homelessness and social inclusion with Anglicare and says there needs to be a national strategy to tackle this problem. What we also know is with a safe place, stability, young people and children can thrive. Damon Walker is 19 and living on the Goldie. He knows all about what the right kind of support looks like too, because he's getting it. But that wasn't always the case. I was staying in a car park at the local cricket field makes you feel a little bit upset, lost and confused, and it's just sort of, you don't know where to turn next. He still remembers the feeling when he was given a place at a youth foyer, which is basically a longer-term place where young people can stay while they find their feet. One of the best memories I have is going and having a nice warm shower. It was an awesome feeling and just getting out and knowing that I have a place to cook, I have a place to store my food, my clothes all my belongings. Really, it was just a, a great feeling to have. And with that support, he's doing something he'd never dreamed of. Uh, so I'm currently saving for my first house. When I was living in my car, it probably wasn't something that I, I thought of would be possible. Steve Bevington leads Community Housing Limited, who provide public and community housing to more than 10,000 Australians. And he says the outlook isn't good. Unless there is a collective plan to work on all aspects of the reasons why there's not enough housing being built, then this situation is going to get worse. While there is a federal government plan to build more social housing units, Steve says it won't keep up with the huge amount of people who don't have a safe place to sleep right now. The Commonwealth Government has a goal to develop 30,000 units over the next uh, five years. That is a drop in the ocean. Hack on Triple J. That story from Miles Holbrook Walk in Darwin. We did ask Australia's Housing Minister Julie Collins to come on Hack today to get into some of these issues. She wasn't available. We are hearing from so many of you, though, on the text line. People are calling in as well. I want to go to one of those callers. We've got Sam from Tamworth on the line. Sam, you work in the youth homelessness space, right? What's your role? Yeah, I'm a caseworker in Tamworth Youth Homelessness Support. And do you think that this whole issue of youth homelessness, you know, in your area, especially in regional areas where maybe there's not as much attention, is bigger than people realise? 100%. 100%. It's not just young people sleeping on the street. It's people couch surfing in overcrowded um, accommodation, living in the garden shed or in their cars. Yeah, and you're seeing that all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah, look, it's 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 something that we're hearing from people uh, all over the place, right across Australia on the text line right now. Sam, we appreciate the work that you do and for calling in to make sure that, you know, you get the message out there that this is a big issue for young people. You know, people spending more than 70% of their income on rent alone, this is part of the driving factor of youth homelessness. And one of the things that we asked the Prime Minister when he was on Hack earlier this month was about how young people were going to cope and what he 
he was going to do to help address this issue. And he said, look, I understand things are tough, but things don't change overnight. But what do experts want to be seeing? Well, Edwina McDonald is the co-deputy CEO of the Australian Council of Social Services. She's with us now. Hey, Edwina, thanks for coming on Hack. Hi, Dave. We're coming up to a federal budget, and as always, that comes with people calling for increases to youth allowance, job seeker, those kinds of things. How bad is the situation at the moment? Oh, look, I mean, I, I don't think I even need to tell tell you and your listeners, we've just heard those stories about the crisis that people are in. Um, there's, there's, there's the problem of not enough housing and not enough social and affordable housing, uh, but there's this really, uh, uh, you know, dire problem of just not actually having enough income and not having enough money to be able to afford housing, to be able to afford food, medicine, utilities, other costs. If you're on job seek, I mean, if you're on youth allowance, it's actually at $40 a day. So it's even lower than those people are on, on job seeker, which is $50 a day. Right. Um, yeah, so so it's just, uh, it's it's dire at the moment. Well, yeah, and we saw some research out today by Homelessness Australia that mm-hmm. said students are left with just 13 bucks a day mm-hmm. after they pay rent. Um, you know, it's, it's crazy stuff. You're calling for income support payments to double. What's behind that reasoning? Like, have you done a bit of research to figure out that that's a number that will be sustainable for people? Yeah, look, we're calling for the payments to, to be at least $76 a day. And that would bring it in parity with the pension, the aged care, um, the aged pension. Um, and, there's a whole lot of different measures you can use. There's the, the um, poverty line, there's various poverty lines. The, the poverty line that, that we use um, is around about that level as well. So it would bring people out of poverty uh, at that level. Uh, you know, we, we know that it's the least that people need to. Um, so, um, you know, it's a bare minimum. It's a starting point. But where we're at now is just you know, universally agreed as woefully inadequate and, and just overnight we've had the the government's own, um, it's an independent committee but appointed by the government to provide it with advice on the adequacy of payments uh, and it has come through with a very clear message that those payments are grossly inadequate, that they're entrenching people in poverty and they're, they're creating barriers um, for people to get into paid work where they're looking for, for paid work. Um, and leaving people skipping meals without medication, without healthcare, without being able to afford a roof over their head. Yeah, I mean, look, these are the stories that we're hearing all the time here on Hack as well. You know, Mm. you've been calling for changes for years now at the Australian Mm. Council of Social Services. Maybe with the cost of living crisis we're going through right now, more Australians are starting to realise just how tough it can be to get by on, you know, very little money. We appreciate your uh, time, uh, your insight into this. Edwina McDonald from the Australian Council of Social Services. Thanks for joining us on Hack. Thanks for having me. We've got some messages coming through. Someone says a two-year waiting list for housing for escapees of domestic violence out Walgett Way. That's, you know, in regional New South Wales. It's forcing some people to stay living with perpetrators. Another person says, I was homeless a week after I turned 16. It wasn't my choice. It was terrifying not knowing where I was going to end up or where I would go day to day. We'll keep you updated on any developments that come. Big announcements from government as well. Hack. Suicide rates have steadily increased over the last 10 years. And in fact, for those who are aged 15 to 19, in the last decade, suicide has almost doubled. On Triple J. 
Yeah, just a heads up, we are speaking now about mental health and suicide and this links in very well to what we were just speaking about in terms of youth homelessness, people doing it tough. What do you do when you're so worried that your mate's down, distressed, that you think they might hurt themselves? Have you ever been in this situation? You'll often hear us tell you to call Lifeline on 13 11 14 and that is a really important service. But what else can you do to help? It's hard to know how to handle this situation. Like, I'm sure you've been in it. I've been in it before. Do you get in touch with the person's parents? Do you call emergency services? Well, a new website's launched today with a lot of these answers. It was made for young people. It was made by young people. After a lot of research, and it's called Right By You. Nika Zand is the project's lead. She's with us now. Hey, Nika, welcome to Hack. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. Firstly, where'd you get the idea to put this resource together? So within my role, I have the awesome opportunity to meet a range of young people. It was coming up quite often that we were seeing a loss within community and young people were mentioning that they had seen concerning imagery and posts and uh, Snapchats from their friend prior to concerning um, actions. And we asked them, well, what did you do in those situations? And a lot of the time we're hearing that young people, they were too nervous to say anything in the situation that they might say something worse. So they were preferring not to say anything in that situation. So we wanted to make sure that they actually had access that was youth-friendly, that they could get that key information then and there. It's so true. And there's been like a lot of research into this that show that a lot of young Australians, for instance, who might be suffering do kind of maybe want to talk about it, but they don't know how to bring it up. And their mates, like you say, don't want to say the wrong thing. It's not bad intentions, right? It's just people unsure what to do. I think a lot of us have experienced this. Have you had experience uh, with this with a friend? Yeah, so actually, uh, this really reminded me of a few years ago when I was actually a young 23-year-old girl and I had a friend that was going through a really difficult situation um, and a few of us really recognised that she was going through a really tough time and one day we received a really sweet message, a thank you message from her and a few of us were like, oh, okay, that's really sweet of her but I just happened to be working within the mental health field and have done, you know, suicide prevention training. So I recognised that actually this was really concerning and I also was aware of what to do in that situation. So I made sure I called emergency services and we made sure that they actually gave her the support in that exact time that she needed and then was um, supported there. Um, And she's, yep, she's thriving at the moment, so she's doing really well, but... We were thinking, how can we make sure that more young people have the opportunity to be able to have that knowledge? Because not every young person has the chance to get the training. Well, hey, it's so good to hear that your friend is in a good spot right now and that the stuff that you did to help worked. You know, what do people do if they're worried about a mate? Because I'm guessing it's not like one size fits all. Yeah, so when we did some youth consultations, this was probably the most consistent question that was asked by the young people. And even when we did explore with those who had lost a friend, it was they ne- they are always, everyone is too anxious to call emergency services because they don't want to get in trouble. There was a lot of anxieties around even being a false alarm. So the number one tip that we would always say, and that information is on the website, is that 
if you have concerns and there is warning signs that is listed on the website as well, it's always better to be safe and to just call triple zero. So on the website, we do actually have a policeman answering that really key question of when to call triple zero. If you do feel like life is um, threatened in that, that moment and you can't access or contact your friend or um, you have really grave concerns that there is something in that moment that they might be doing something dangerous, even if you're worried that it might be a false alarm, it's definitely much preferable to just play it safe and call triple zero, ask for a welfare check. But of course, you, I think a lot of people are worried, but what if it's not actually that much of an emergency? And that's what the website has a bit more information around about, you know, when you feel just concerned or, you know, you're worried it might be more of an emergency. So yeah, that was definitely a key, a key question that the young people are wondering. You can definitely tell that this website has been made by young Australians, obviously, and you've talked to a lot because the way it's even put together, it's not just a whole bunch of really overwhelming information um, just slammed onto a website. It's colourful and dynamic. You've got video content. Like you said, you've got people in positions of power who are able to give advice that you can trust. We were speaking earlier in the show, Nika, about youth homelessness and how it's a big crisis in Australia right now, cost of living, all of that as well. Is that why you were kind of keen to get this out now? Definitely the current generation is absorbing a lot more of the most difficult things that are happening in our world constantly, whether they're receiving that information and content on their phone um, and also, of course, the current situation that is happening. We mean, we just went through a pandemic. We're not sure, you know, is there going to be another world war? There's just so many consistent societal issues that are coming up more than ever for young people and definitely with those stats and the research that is just recognizing that we really need to start prioritizing how we can support young people um, has definitely at least led us to be able to make sure that we made this project happen. Well, hey, it's a really important resource. I'm sure so many people are going to be checking this out and grabbing information from it. It's really useful. Nika Zand yeah. from Right By You, thank you very much for joining us on Hack. Beautiful. Thank you. Hack. On Triple J. Yeah, and just a reminder, that website is rightbyyou.org.au. Also, if this has raised anything for you, you can always call Lifeline. They're there on 13 11 14. There are chat options as well online. Got some messages coming through. Someone says, I lost my best friend to suicide three years ago. It's so, so hard when your friend is a chronic suicide risk, meaning they aren't acutely unwell enough to be admitted to a mental health ward, but you know that it could happen at any time. You've just got to be there for them and make it known on the daily. Look, a lot of messages coming through. So many people affected by this story. We're going to turn now to another big story of the day. Hack. At this stage, the fraud that we can confirm does not seem to be enough to alter the election results. We should be honest and tell you that. I love these legal challenges because we have to get to the bottom of all this and, and expose fraud where it occurred. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. A settlement has been reached in that massive $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit brought by Dominion Voting Systems against Fox News. This litigation cannot solve all problems. All of us remain ever vigilant to find common factual ground. On Triple J.
Yeah, it was going to be one of the great media trials of the century, right? Fox News being sued by a voting machine company for spreading false claims that the US election had been rigged against Donald Trump. But a big announcement came through this morning. We woke up to it. Fox News settled. The US network paying out more than a billion Aussie dollars to stop the trial going ahead. So what has happened here? Who exactly is the winner in this situation? It's fascinating. Let's find out more about it. Michael Socolo is an American media historian and an associate professor of journalism at the University of Maine in the US. He also knows a fair bit about our media landscape here in Australia. Michael, thanks for joining us on Hack. Thank you. For those who haven't followed this case closely, what was the case? What was uh, the argument here? It's, it's a little bit complicated because Australian media law and American media law are quite different. But the case really boiled down to... Um, the question of defamation, the question of exactly how Fox News defamed this company called Dominion by republishing the lies that Donald Trump, Giuliani, and all of the the people who were claiming Dominion had somehow acted with malfeasance in the election of 2020. And in American media law, it really came down to beyond lying, did they knowingly lie? There's a lot of reaction, as you can imagine, to this uh, announcement today. We've got some people being like, oh, this is a huge hit for Fox News. Um, It serves them right. They've learnt their lesson. You've got other people being like, oh, well, they've actually um, settled, paid uh, far less than what Dominion was maybe wanting, and they've not had to go through this trial, and people like Rupert Murdoch have not had to give evidence. Who has been the winner here? Well, you know, it's interesting. In a lot of ways, some people are saying all three won, right? Dominion won because 775 million US dollars is a fantastically large sum. Fox won because nobody has to go on the stand, including Rupert Murdoch, and they can continue to say what they want to say with that freedom. And the public won because the defamation law, the kind of case this was, was so extraordinary that no other news organization is really going to try and do what Fox did and got in trouble for. That's what I was going to ask. Do you think that the impact of this is going to be pretty significant, not only for Fox News, although I'm interested in what you have to think, um, what you have to say about that. Do you think it's going to change the way Fox News operates or has it already, but also other media organisations watching on? Well, Fox News, it's too early to tell if it will change the way Fox News operates because we'll just have to wait and see. They did not apologise. I don't know if you know, but it's part of the settlement. They didn't have to apologise and they did not apologise for what they did which is indicative of something very interesting about the way they think they're going to go. But for the other media news organizations, this case was so bizarre in that they had the texts and the emails of the Fox people saying that they knowingly lied, that it was an open and shut case in American media law. And that's really rare. I've never seen anything quite like it. So I don't think it's going to change much. The Wall Street Journal just published last week that Fox News is sitting on $4 billion in cash and it was going to do a stock buyback. So paying out $775 million when you're sitting on $4 billion in cash is really quite minimal. But then other people who I respect are saying that, wait a minute, this is 50%. This is more than 50% of Fox News' gross profits for a year. That is serious. That's very serious for any company. Michael, you're based in the US. Can you explain what kind of influence Fox News has? And has that changed over the last few years since Donald Trump's left the presidency? Absolutely. Um, Fox News' influence in the American electorate has been 
greatly exaggerated, okay? There's 330 million Americans, less than 2 million Americans watch Fox News on any given night. 99.7% of the American population is not watching Fox News. However, it, it makes a billion dollars through cable subscription fees. So it looks like a big business, but its political influence is minimal. People forget in 2012, Rupert Murdoch did not want Mitt Romney to be the Republican nominee. In 2016, he didn't want Donald Trump to be the Republican nominee. He can't even convince the Republicans not to nominate Donald Trump. So its, it's influence is greatly exaggerated. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with American media historian, journalism expert, Michael Sokolow about, uh, you know, this big uh, settlement that Fox News has reached uh, with a uh, voting machine company, Dominion, in the US, more than a billion Australian dollars. It's huge. Michael, there's a lot of interest in this stuff, especially now with the TV show Succession. A lot of our listeners would be, you know, watching that every week at the moment, fully into getting into the lives of these big media moguls. Do you think that's a pretty fair portrayal of the type of influence these people like the Murdochs have on politics around the world? Well, you know, that's interesting that you say around the world, because I do think that in other places we have seen the Murdoch empire be stronger, I think in Australia and in England in particular, than in the United States for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, well, just the Australian media sphere is so much smaller. It's such a smaller country. But yeah, this is, you know, people are fascinated with media moguls. I mean, Rupert Murdoch is not nearly as influential as other great American media people of the past, like Hearst, you know, Citizen Kane, or William S. Paley, who ran CBS, or or General Sarnoff, who ran NBC. He's not in the ballpark of those people. Michael, you've spent a bit of time in Australia. You've written extensively about our media landscape here, about, uh, you know, things that should be concerning or maybe we should be thinking more about. Do you think there is anything that Australia can learn from this case? It's interesting. This case would never make it to Australia for, for a whole bunch of reasons. In other words, it would have been shut down preemptively because of the way defamation law works in both the United Kingdom and in Australia and the way liability works and what you can actually charge somebody with and what you can say publicly about somebody. The rules are very different. There's no First Amendment in Australia. And so um, Australians have to be very careful, like the Afghan files and the ABC and the search warrant that the government went after um, for sources. We have ways to protect sources in the United States. So I, I'm not saying it's it's better or it's worse. One could argue that for society, the British and Australian media laws are much better. I mean, in terms of comedy, in terms of, I mean, comedy, C-O-M-I-T-Y, like in terms of keeping people together and civil society being helped. In America, the First Amendment creates these bizarre cases. But this case is really strange. It's very strange to have texts and emails of journalists admitting that they're lying about what they're saying to their audience. Associate Professor Michael Sarkolo from the University of Maine, thank you so much for joining us on Hack. Thank you. Hack on Triple J. Yeah, we've got a lot of comments coming through on that one. We've also got quite a few comments coming through on something I mentioned a little earlier. We got the news through today that Australia lost a real force for social justice. Father Bob Maguire, the Catholic priest turned charity campaigner turned Triple J presenter, has died at the age of 88. Hack. I turned feral early, because I suppose because of the survival thing. Um, and that's been, I mean, I'm feral tonight. I'm a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. 
God showed me the way because the devil trying to break me down. See, not just singing hymns and talking about, oh, God save the poor, but we've actually got to get out and do it. Yeah, here it is here, you fool. That's what I have to move on for, see, because I've lost me wits. Father Bob. Yes, mate. How much can you deadlift? Deadlift? Oh, one tin of baked beans. I liked uh, John Safran. Yeah. Because he said, look, we're not out to offend anybody. Hmm. We're out to offend everybody. Saying, John, you've got to go and break out Father Bob. Yeah, yeah. I didn't start that. <laughs> I don't think I started that. Did I start that? You found another way to help. Had to. Mm. Had to. That's why I wake up in the morning. Don't curse the darkness, light a candle. Hack on Triple J. Yeah, Father Bob, really well known for his social justice work, his wicked sense of humour. You just heard a bit of it there. And a lot of his work was for young people. Young people who were homeless, who were disadvantaged, he was helping them out when nobody else was. And he actually got made a member of the Order of Australia in 1989 for his service to homeless youth. It is a really sad day, you know. Father Bob wasn't afraid to go up against the church either. He'd give them a go, tell them what he thought. Got some messages coming through. Someone says, Hi, Dave, if only we could have some politicians with a tenth of the drive and empathy of Father Bob. We as a country would be a thousand percent better off. That's from Pedro. A lot of people on our Instagram as well. Brett says he was the epitome of love, acceptance and kindness. D says Australia has lost a giant and a lot of other people saying thanks to Father Bob for his service as well. And we thank him too at Triple J as well for all of his services over many years. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple J.